This is a Federal News Network podcast. With so much attention on a series of forthcoming multiple award contracts, it might be easy for companies to forget about the old reliable GSA schedule. As our next guest reminds us, the multiple award schedule contract did record business last year. Larry Allen is president of the Allen Federal Business Partners. He talked with me about why the schedule contracts might not be getting the attention they deserve right now. Jared, one of the problems that the GSA schedules have always had relative to other contract vehicles is that they're always there. They're always open. And things that are always there and always accessible, they're doing a lot of business, but they're not necessarily getting any attention from contractors or in the press because other programs like GSA's Polaris and GSA's Astro and the NIH CIO SP4 contract, those all are new contracts. They have definitive start dates. You have to have your offer in by a certain period of time uh, to be considered. And even though there are going to be on-ramps for some of those programs, you have to wait for the on-ramp if you didn't get your offer in originally. So there tends to be a lot of buzz around some of the other contract vehicles because people are actively bidding and you have to get on these at a certain time or not. Whereas in the schedules, you're always, it's always there. You can submit an offer at any time and that doesn't really make headlines, but it does make for good business. And the numbers show that scheduled contracts are more popular than ever with federal buyers. I think some of that has to do with meeting the needs attendant to the pandemic But the schedules program has been popular for decades now. Uh, GSA's numbers are showing that not only did the schedule program finish strong at the end of FY20, it's actually ahead of projections so far for the current fiscal year. So there's good business to be had there. A lot of interest on the government side. Is it? This is probably harder to measure, but but can you see a waning interest on the selling side in getting on schedules, or is that mostly anecdotal? Yeah, it's a really good question. I would have said that if we were having this conversation a year ago, anecdotally, interest in getting on schedule might have been waning. Uh, certainly, the number of schedules classes I was teaching uh, had been reduced. But, Jared, in the last six months, that's kind of changed around. My phone's been ringing a lot more about people who are looking to get on schedule, looking to enter the federal market with new products, and people are recommending that they take a look at getting on schedule either uh, their own contract or through somebody who has a contract already. Uh, Similarly, the schedule classes I'm teaching, I'm teaching them, and they're starting to fill up. So I think we're seeing a little bit of a rebound. There may have been a lull for a while, but now industry is coming back. And it's not just uh, existing contractors, a lot of newer market entries. Yeah, and as you point out in the newsletter, getting on the schedules is one thing. But once you're there, you don't want to just let let things lie dormant. It's something you do need to attend to uh, throughout time. Sure. Well, there are a couple of things to keep in mind, Jared. One is it takes one set of skills to get on any IDIQ contract like a GSA schedule, you have to be able to put together a good proposal. It takes another set of skills to be able to sell through those contracts because remember, they're all kind of like fishing licenses and you've got to go out and catch the fish. 
And the third part is you do have to make sure that you stay compliant. You know, my experience has been that most companies are happy when sales increase. I know I'm happy when mine increase, but you also have to pay attention to the back office stuff to make sure that uh, those increases stay within your company and don't go back to the government because you weren't complying. Um, also in the newsletter this week, you're, you're talking about getting a little less DC centric and thinking about some of the other markets that that sellers to the government might be want to be, might want to be paying attention to at the moment. And, and you're really interested in Huntsville. It looks like tell me tell me why Huntsville grabbed your attention. Jared Huntsville grabbed my attention because it, it's not new to being an enclave for federal business, but it really is expanding. Uh, the FBI is taking the lead in expanding. Uh, some of its business, its presence uh, in Huntsville. We've already had uh, a massive army presence there, but we're also getting stuff from the Unit Department of Agriculture, the Bureau of Land Management, some other agencies. And that got me to thinking about contractors and how they approach the government market. If a contractor hasn't really thought about Huntsville lately, it should, because more government agencies are going down their, their, their enclave is expanding. I think conservatively speaking, there'll be over 20,000 federal employees uh, over the next couple of years in Huntsville. That certainly isn't gonna replace Washington DC, but you start thinking about these places, Jared, that are around the country, whether it's Huntsville, whether it's a place like San Diego that has a huge Navy complement, or San Antonio that has a large Air Force uh, community around it. So these are places outside of the DC area that federal business gets done. And you can even look at a place like Denver that doesn't necessarily call a lot of federal agencies home, but has a lot of every federal agency uh, in the book has a regional office in Denver. And there's an entire campus of federal offices outside of downtown Denver. So if you're a federal contractor and you're looking for ways to energize your business, you might want to start to look at some of these areas outside of the Beltway. I know that I look outside of the Beltway sometimes with fear and trepidation, Jared, but this would be a good time to do that. That that distinction that you're kind of hinting at is really interesting to me. I mean, there are there are places where there are huge concentrations of, of federal employees like San Diego, like Hampton Roads, but they tend to be company towns for one particular department. Like if you're doing a lot of DOD business, you probably have an office in Hampton Roads. That's different than a place like Huntsville, and there's a couple others, I think of maybe like Martinsburg, West Virginia, where there's a large diversity of different federal agencies coupled with a high concentration of federal employees. And that's that's a different animal and, and possibly more untapped opportunities for, for government sellers than than the the big hunts. Sorry, the big Hampton Roads and San Diego's that they're probably probably already thinking about. Well, I think you're exactly right. And I, I, I would throw back into that mix again, Denver, which has just a huge federal campus for lots of federal agencies. And they also have an enclave of federal offices in downtown Denver. So you look at places like Huntsville, like Martinsburg, West Virginia, uh, like Denver, uh, just to name three, and you really got uh, a diverse set of federal entities. They all have money. Uh, a lot of these agencies, you look at the ones particularly under the Department of Justice, they traditionally do very decentralized buying anyway. So these are good business opportunities. 
uh, for themselves. Uh, you don't want to miss out on an opportunity in a good part of the country uh, just because it's not uh, Washington, D.C. You want to look at where the opportunities are writ large. All right. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. Good to talk to you as always, Larry. Jared, thank you, and I wish your listeners happy selling. And you can find this interview anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors and it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place. So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal 
route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all, but is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.